Let's get it. Monday, January 20th, 2020. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a great week outside of podcast land. I totally forgot about the last review that we had over the hiatus. I uh, forgot to mention it. This one comes from Urban Red. Five stars. Thank you. As a vet, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to this podcast. Not only does Tanner discuss new things going on with the Department of Veterans Affairs, he interviews a ton of vets and a myriad of different, myriad, good word, good word choice, of different civilian jobs and talks about nonprofits and programs that help veterans. The thing I like most is that he talks to vets from all military services and the people he interviewed talk about their military service as well as what they learned from military service that helped them in civilian life once they retired or separated. Tanner also talks about his experiences with purchasing a house with the VA home loan and sometimes releases awesome bonus episodes. My favorite episode was about a World War II vet who was in Hawaii during the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. It definitely made that military historical event more real to me, listening to the firsthand experience from someone who was there to see things happening. Definitely give it a listen. Well, Urban Red, thank you so much for such a thorough and detailed review. I guarantee someone else will click on the podcast based off of a review like that. So thank you. News releases. Do not have any of particular note for you this week, which is good for my runtime, but not much else. Got one on remarks about a congressional retirement in the Veterans Affairs Committee. And one on the VA Central Office realignment for the Veterans Health Administration. Okay. Again, I'll clue you in if I see any that is of uh, a resource to you. If you want to read all the press releases, however, you can always go to va.gov forward slash OPA, Oscar Papa Alpha, forward slash press rel, P-R-E-S-S-R-E-L, all one word, and then hit enter. All right, so a little bit of a curveball coming at you this week. Uh, this week's planned episode is taking a little bit more effort on my end to come out. So what does that mean for you? It means no blog for this episode on blogs.va.gov. But you're going to hopefully get, count them, two episodes this week. And the next one will have a full blog. Either that or this week's planned episode will be, unfortunately, moved on to next week. Uh, hopefully that's not the case. Um but the point is, is, I want to get that episode right. So when the next episode drops, be sure to listen because there's a little bit more love that went into that one. However, this drop is special too. Uh, this week's turn of events had me scrambling, but not for long because man, um, I have had an entire, I have an entire trove of content uh, since I became the host last March. Since I dropped episode 135 with my mentor, who I actually had the chance to hang out with uh, this weekend at the Vettys, which was re really cool. I've had the chance to interview veteran CEOs and program directors of Fortune 500 companies, other entrepreneurs, sports figures, small business owners, and ladies and gentlemen that have, have overcame incredible obstacles to become inspiring stories to both you and me. Also, the addition of the benefits breakdowns have helped me on my own journey to understand this Second largest department in the federal government uh, after the DOD. I can tell you that 
each person that I've been able to sit down with has inspired me in some way. And I hope you felt the same way too. Because without you, uh, the Born the Battleites, if you will, uh, there would be no show. The re-edition of the Benefics Breakdown is, is an example. We didn't have that again until it was a suggestion by the audience. Again, this isn't my podcast. This isn't the VA's podcast. This is your podcast. And every rating and review on iTunes and every email to podcast.va.gov and every blog comment on the show notes on blogs.va.gov helps shape this show. We wouldn't have as great of a show uh, as we do. And we wouldn't have the incredible reach that we do without you. So thank you. If this is your first ever listening to Born the Battle, this is the episode for you because you're getting highlights, uh, the cliff notes, if you will, of 2019. You're going to hear from episodes 136, 139, 142, 143, 145, 149, 152, 156, 162, 166, 170, and 173. Enjoy. Did you spend time in Bremerton? No, I never did. I never, I went, I, my first duty station on a submarine was in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. And I was there for That's two and a half years. Great, great place. I, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of people that wanted to go to Hawaii. I was a person that did not want to go to Hawaii. What, what I, I wanted to do, I, all I wanted to do was join the Navy, come back to New York, or be as close to New York as possible, because I do love New York. Sure. And I got orders to Hawaii and I was immediately I was trying to switch I was trying to switch with everyone you know what I mean and there were a couple and of guys you, you, that had were gonna, no, you had no takers for Hawaii I believe it or not I had people that wanted to go to Hawaii but they didn't want to go to my submarine so they wanted to go to other submarines and everything else so I actually got no one no one whatsoever so I ended up just having to take those orders and it's Again, it's when you're That's new, amazing. everybody's new. So yeah. they don't know. Everybody's kind of scared about making the wrong decision and everything else. So a lot of times you just go with what they give you. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing that you didn't find one person to go. Yeah. Hawaii. No. Uh, I'll take that. You exactly. know, just, I mean, that's, that's incredible. You know, we have two to three months as soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, and Coast Guardmen to, to learn how to become that. And then we have five days in transition assistance program to get out. For many of us, some people didn't have jobs before they went in. I, I came in at 17. I had a job, but I'd never paid a mortgage or anything like that. Yeah. So we have a hard time when we get out. What I say to people, if they are getting out or they have just gotten out, or if they're planning to get out down the road, you have to stay connected to the veteran community. You have to volunteer somewhere. You don't get out of the military and then that feeling goes away of wanting to give back and wanting to help. You have to stay connected. You have to volunteer somewhere and you need that camaraderie, especially for people who are either really invested in the way that the military is or people who've served 20 years. You can't get out, be surrounded by a bunch of civilians and expect not to feel like you you don't fit in. I've dealt with this all the time. I got out in 2004 I have continued to surround myself with veterans because it's important because they understand me. You're in pain, you're uncomfortable. You could be cold, wet, hungry, whatever, you name it. Those things are gonna happen to you and you're gonna have to mentally process and you're gonna have to focus on the art of the possible and what you can do and you're gonna have to work that to the fullest of your ability. That's something that 
will live with me forever. I, I think the Marine Corps has conditioned where if I am comfortable, I need to be uncomfortable. Does that make sense? I'm not happy if I'm comfortable. My comfort zone is uncomfortable. I want, because that is where I know I'm having the adventure. Yeah. And it's the adventure that brings me joy. Being on the couch is not homeostasis. That's not happiness. Being in the gym, learning something new, chasing down a criminal. Those are the happy moments in life. So yeah, just, just, just keep engaging. There is always another mountaintop. Every time I crust a mountain, I see the next mountaintop. And I want to go get after that mountain. You know, back in episode 140, uh, Danny Chung, who's the chief of staff from, of military affairs at Microsoft, he told me that... Um, you know, he's been out for 10 years and when people ask him, how, how is your transition? How was your transition? He goes, I'm still transitioning. Do you feel now? I mean, you've been out for a, a while as well. Do you feel like you're still transitioning as well? Uh, the short answer there is yes. I don't, yeah. I don't think you ever, you ever, um, I think it, there's aspects of it that become easier we're, you know, with the benefit of time and experience. Um, but I, again, f speaking for me, coming out of that perfect dream job as a SEAL officer, um, I believe that transition will be, <laughs> will be ongoing forever. Uh, there will the always, always be a part of me that, that uh, um, is, is the former SEAL officer. And so, um, finding, yeah. finding direction personally, professionally, um, and how you, how you incorporate those, those values and those life experiences that are important to you and those priorities, uh, into your life post-service is something that you're always, you're always, um, you're always dealing with. One thing I learned in service is that it takes five seconds of craziness that could completely change your life. And, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of tie that into, you know, combat five seconds of craziness can change the outcome of something, which is true. And five seconds of craziness can save somebody's life or whatnot, which I do feel is true. But with, with me, it was, it was just different times in the military, whether it be just doing something like volunteering to go do something. For example, uh, I was bored and I asked top, and I was like, I got, which is first sergeant in the army. I was like, I got nothing to do. Like, is there any details or something I can go on? And they end up sending me out by the Czech Republic for 30 days, which was fun, you know? Uh, oh my God. <laughs> I bet it was. You know, just, but, you know, <laughs> I, the big one to me is always, it was the WWE thing. You know, if I not take that five seconds and just went to Eddie Guerrero and said, hey, this is what I want to do. Like, what is you, what do you think? I wouldn't have gotten my WWE tryout, you know, and my whole life would have been changed. And, mm. It was just that that five seconds of craziness, just going for it, just saying, you know what, screw it. Like, I'm just going to go for this and see what happens. And, you know. I was a staff sergeant, mechanic on the B-17 and the B-24. So you were a mechanic during Pearl Harbor as oh, well? Oh, yes. Oh, wow. So this yeah. is before your flying career. Yeah. So in Fiji, they asked you if you wanted to be a pilot. Fiji, they opened up the door and I submitted my application again. I have reason to believe that my immediate commander did not, back in Honolulu, I applied, and I, I have reason to believe he, he uh, 
He negated that. He, he didn't, didn't want he to didn't turn. Want to let, he didn't want to let you go. That's right. I, ah. I, I can understand, but then I think that's wrong. And I'm sure. angry about that to this day. But anyhow, I got around him. Yeah. In Fiji. That's another story. I don't want to take up too much of your time. No, no. You can take up as much of my time as possible, sir. Absolutely. You want me to tell you this story? Sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know what? Now that you put how, me... How I got around my commander. And... Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. It's the most beautiful story of my life. There are some individuals that I've met that thought that they couldn't come out and be a part of Camp Valor Outdoor shooting program because mm. of their disabilities. And that's not the case at all. Um, don't look at your disabilities as a, as a roadblock, you know, uh, look at it more as an obstacle. So as an example, we had a, uh, a young Marine who was in a wheelchair and he likes to shoot. So we took him out to the range and instead of shooting in the standing position, he sat in his wheelchair and he shot a modified standing position with no support other than sitting down on his chair. And so we figured out ways to make it so he can continue to shoot and compete and have fun. Um, and matter of fact, the civilian marksmanship program has even recognized that and has made it so uh, those with disabilities can still earn distinguished points to get in their distinguished badge. And then uh, another example is we had a, uh, an Air Force warrior who was paralyzed from the armpits down. And so we'd help him get out of his wheelchair and lay on the ground and, and shoot F-class from a 1,000 yard. Oh, wow. And uh, he does very, very well with it. So, you know, whatever disabilities that, um, you know, these veterans have, we will figure out how to work with them or her and so they can get out there and enjoy that camaraderie and put some rounds down range because that's one thing we all have in common. We've all pulled the trigger before in our military service, and that's something a lot of us miss. So getting back out there and pulling the trigger, uh, it's very, like I said, it's very therapeutic, but it's also it's also fun. Yeah, I think for I think for veterans that are listening that that may be hesitant to come out because we do find that we've connected with veterans that for whatever reason um, they'll they'll send emails and they'll talk to us on the phone, but when it actually comes to the day of coming out to the match. Um, there's some kind of a hesitation there and I really haven't mm. figured out yet how to get past that. I know for, uh, we had this young Marine down in Texas and he's, he's got just an incredible heart, but he didn't start out that way. He was in a really dark place and mm. he's in a wheelchair and he did not want to leave his house. He was just in this dark space that veterans sometimes find themselves. Hmm. And a buddy of his got connected with Camp Valor Outdoors up in Missouri. And he said, oh, Jake, you've got to go. You have got to come out <laughs> to this hunt. And he put it off like there's hunts all year round. And this guy was going out to Camp Valor Outdoors. And Jake kept saying no. You know, he just, for some reason, mm. just wasn't ready or just didn't feel like he'd be able to do it or. Yeah. Um, the hesitation. The hesitation. Mm. And this guy said, Jake, I'm going to be at your house at three o'clock on Friday afternoon. You better have your bags packed because bag or no bag, you're getting in my truck. I'm, I'm putting your butt, and, I'm putting your butt outside. And we are going to Missouri. And so he showed up and he drove with Jake up to Missouri and Jake has never turned back. He just couldn't believe 
the opportunity and meeting the other vets and being able to talk and share with other vets. And so he has been out with us numerous times. Not only that, this guy went from sitting in a dark bedroom. Yeah. He's now a rancher. What? Yes. In Texas, he has his own ranch. His family helps him. Sure. And that's how far he's gotten. You know, he still comes out and shoots with us. He's a great competitive shooter, but he has a ranch and now he has hosted a wild hog hunt for Camp Fowler Outdoors. That's He's like, amazing. hey guys, I got these hogs on my property and we need to eradicate. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's an awesome story. He's an awesome vet. And I think for other vets that are kind of on the fence, should I go? Should I not go? Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be able to do it with my disability? Just come out. We make it happen. We've got four four um, four wheelers, golf carts. We've got those track chairs. We've got guys with disabilities that will get in that track chair and we can get them out to the duck blind or the deer blind or anywhere they want to go over that terrain from a track chair. So there's really nothing that should be holding these vets back. And so that's, that would be my message is to come out and join us. What a lot of people forget is that like they, they look at themselves and they look at other people and they try to compare their success to other people to define their happiness. And that's kind of the, the dark side of social media. And, you know, you have to remember the days that like, you know, you're out in the field and the only bit of happiness that you had was, you know, that you were lucky enough that the Skittles in your MREs weren't expired <laughs> or only slightly expired. Or someone didn't open the charms in the field. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, you know, I had some of the happiest I've ever seen people in their life was, you know, on a rooftop in Iraq and, you know, some, you know, some boot was uh, dumb enough to trade, uh, you know, his brownie and jalapeno cheese spread for, you know, some expired uh, Skittles. <laughs> and, you awesome. know, so that, you know, the greatest, you know, the greatest joy in that person's life at that moment was, you know, holding that jalapeno cheese spread. <laughs> and then you get out and you have people who, you know, they have, uh, you know, a thousand dollar phone in their hand they have a vehicle roof over their head a dry bed to sleep in and they're not happy and yeah it's not it's not things it's not materialistic things it's not uh, tangible things that make most of people like us happy it's those intangible things like being appreciated being valued feeling proficient in whatever your job field is knowing that you help someone maybe yeah you know it's yeah. Once the sun had set on that chapter of my life, I still felt like I had something to contribute just in a different way. And so the people who are in that position where maybe they don't feel satisfied, go out and find something to get that satisfaction. The background noise in the Pentagon had changed. Uh, it seemed more quiet than normal, but then I heard shouting and, and it wasn't just a little bit of shouting, it continued. And I opened the door, stuck my head out of the clinic and, and noticed that in fact, there were people running and there were people shouting and there was smoke in the hallways. Someone told us that there were casualties in corridor five. So we, on, yeah. on our way down to De Lorenzo, they said, hey, there's, there's casualties lying on the floor in so corridor you five. You so we didn't, ran- You didn't even make it to your rendezvous point. Correct. We ran to corridor five and sure enough, there were 
patients on the floor in corridor five. And there was one in particular who was badly injured with burns over the front of his body. He was a an army lieutenant colonel, and he was in excruciating pain. He uh, was trembling with pain, and his main concern, and he kept repeating this over and over, he told us what his room number was and asked us to go get the rest of the people out of there. He said that there were 11 people working in there and he wanted to make sure that we got them out. And uh, this gentleman was in such pain that I had my pharmacy tech open up the med kit and give me a syringe of morphine. And I gave him morphine right there in the hallway just so he could uh, deal with it a little bit as we moved him. So... (laughs) This is what I keep telling people. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but this world, uh, the way it works and how life works and the universe and everything and energy and all that stuff. When you make like when you make a wholehearted decision that you are going to do something like, hey, like I have a vision of me being this or being that and I'm going to do this. Like the moment you make that decision and kind of put it out there in the world, like write it down. It's crazy how once you start focusing daily energy towards it, how doors start opening up. Um, you know, that's why when people tell me, oh, I can't do this or I can't get to my goal because of this. I'm like, you're, you're no, that's false. Like you can. There is actually nothing stopping you. There's stuff there to slow you down, but there's nothing stopping you. So like for me, I, it was January 2014 and prior prior to January 2014, I had a Corvette and I still have it now. Same Corvette. I had a Dodge Challenger. It's sold now, but I had that. I used to take both those cars to like drag strips and road courses and all that stuff for fun, like open track days. So I, I was just a car enthusiast. You know, I go to open track days. Anybody can go to those. Uh-huh. And then I uh, did yeah. that for a couple of years. And after a while of that, I was like, you know what? Like <clears throat> I have a little bit of skill. You know, every time I went and did like a time trial event and things like that, I would either win or, you know, finish really high or whatever. And, um, you know, I going into January 2014, I just I was sitting in my room one night and I was like, you know, what? I want to become a professional race car driver. Like, that's what I want to do. I'm going to do that. That's my next thing. That's what's going to happen. And I wrote it down on my whiteboard. I wrote it down and I said, become professional race car driver and put it up on my wall. And that was the beginning of the journey where to go, what to do, had no clue. All I knew was I'm going to make it happen. And as long as I put energy towards it every day, it's going to happen. So then I started focusing energy towards it every single day. Like I started thinking about it every single day. I started researching every single day, Um, you know, and researching online is probably the worst thing to do for that sort of thing, because (laughs) all you're going to hear online is you can't do it because you didn't come from a racing family. You can't do it because you're not rich. You can't do it because of this. You can't, you can't, you can't. Everyone's putting their life on you. Why they couldn't make it happen because they don't have the right mindset. Right. So anyways, I didn't listen to any of that. I was like, look, if I say I want to do it, I'm going to do it. You know, there is zero law in the world. There's no law in motor racing that says you cannot race if you are 27 years old. Like, no, there's no law. So I was like, I'm going to make it happen. Why after retirement? And you've been doing this a long time after your retirement. Why is it important for you and why is it important for other veterans to serve organizations like Reese Across America after their military service? Ooh. I'll tell you a story that happened back in 2013. Okay. Uh, up to that period of time, we weren't able to cover all of Arlington. Uh, you know, we didn't have enough sponsorships 
to help us. We, we rely on uh, individual sponsorships and some corporate donations. Uh, we get no government funding. But in uh, 2013, uh, my wife and I do what we call special requests, where someone uh, last year, we'll say Section 52 was uh, covered, that the, the cemetery officials would assign us different sections in the cemetery that they wanted covered each year because we weren't able to cover the whole cemetery. So they moved us around. And we'll say that Section 52 was covered last year, so it wasn't scheduled to be covered this year. Mm. Uh, in 2013. But uh, we have somebody that uh, lives out in California or Washington State, and, and they say, hey, my husband's buried uh, in Section 52, and I know that 52 was covered last year, but I've sponsored a couple of wreaths, and uh, I, I want uh, to make sure my husband gets, gets a wreath. Would you do that uh, special request for us? So my wife and I go in after wreath day and spend uh, uh, the next few days uh, doing these special requests. Oh, wow. And we were doing, I was carrying a wreath into a section that wasn't supposed to be covered, but had uh, 50 or 60 wreaths scattered in this big section. And as I'm walking by, there's a gentleman standing uh, in the cemetery because it's holidays and many people visit Arlington. Uh, and as I walked by him, he stopped me and said, excuse me, he says, you know, what are all these wreaths? And he's looking across the street and sees the section next to it. They are completely covered. And these few scattered in, in the section he's standing in. So I proudly tell him about Reese Across America, and we're there to remember, honor, and teach, and uh, to thank the service members for their service and sacrifice. And he said uh, four words to me that uh, keep me going every day now. And, and he says, what about my son? And mm -hmm. uh, he happened to be standing in front of, a, of, of his son's marker, and it just so happened that the line coming up to where his son's marker was, there was four or five wreaths in a row. And, you know, it, it ended and his son didn't have a wreath. Oh. And uh, it, it, uh, it, it really hit me, hit me hard. And it, and it does today. Every time I think about it, I, I tear up a little. Because I said, geez, how many other people come to Arlington? And as a coordinator, that's, what, that's the one I was concerned with most, is how many come to Arlington when that last wreath is placed? And their loved one, their their mother, father, sister, brother, aunt, and uncle, whatever, doesn't have a wreath. And fortunately, we, we had an extra one that, you know, that we gave him, so he had one. But, you know, it, it I, I made a promise to myself right then. I said, I, I've got to do whatever I can to make sure we cover Arlington. But then this year we'll have close to 1,800 locations, and all of those don't get filled. Yeah. And, and we don't want to forget our veterans. We, you know, the old saying, you die twice. You die once when your heart stops beating and you take that final breath. But you die a final time when your name is spoken by somebody for the last time and then you're forgotten. Yeah. And we don't want to forget our veterans. That's why we, we tell our volunteers at all of our locations, when you place that wreath, say that name out loud so they're not forgotten. Thank them for their service and sacrifice. But say the name. You can Google that person, uh, find yeah. out about them, learn a little bit about them. I, I call Arlington a, 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 a library because behind every stone there's a story. Then yeah. I think one of the big problems uh, with, with guys and gals that came home from Vietnam was that uh, because uh, the country was so divided over the war, um, 
that that we didn't really get a lot of opportunity to to vent, you know, to get that poison. Uh, those those horrible images to to talk about them and get them out of our system. Nobody wanted to hear about that, mm. uh, and and so I think what happened was a lot of that poison uh, stayed in their guts and drove them to substance abuse and and drove them to uh, becoming hermits and and just becoming angry and bitter uh, young men. Yeah, uh, I, I recognized that after a while, and I said, look, I I can't be one of those. Uh, I'm not going to be the professional disgruntled Rambo veteran. I, I, that's just not me. And so because I have a writing talent uh, and a, a kind of a performing talent, uh, it occurred to me that, that one of the ways I could I could clear my guts or clear my mind or clear those images was simply to talk about them, um, was was simply to write about them, you know, to, to say, look, uh, you may not want to hear this. And frankly, I don't give a damn. Um, but I'm going to tell you about the things that are haunting me. I'm going to tell you about the images. I'm going to tell you what that war was, that battle, that war was really like. Yeah. Um, and it turned out to be great. Uh, you're exactly right. It was cathartic. It was therapeutic. And I'm really glad I did it. And it continues to be. Yeah. Now, I took you, uh, you know, I mean, I think you wrote your first book in the 80s. It was it wasn't like immediately after the war that you did this. Was there a, a time where it, it was you know, haunting you almost every day. Yeah, there really was Tanner. And, and I got to tell you, uh, it was a period of about 10 years. Yeah. Um, and had I not had mother core, not wrapped her loving arms around me and, and forgiven me my sins. Um, I don't know where I'd be. I'd probably be in prison or dead. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a hell of a difference between the war and the warrior. Yeah. Um, and and as they as the Marine Corps protected me and promoted me and 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 uh, and and sort of nurtured me, um, I began to heal. Uh, I began to to think, you know, uh, that war may have been really horrible, um, and it may have may have really scarred some people. Uh, but the Marine Corps didn't do that. The war did that. Um, on, on your blog on DaleDay.com, you wrote, uh, it, that fascinates me and makes me wonder why I occasionally pick at emotional scabs this long after my wartime service. It's a hard row for me to hoe. I was emotionally shattered after multiple combat tours when the war that defined me as a person and as a Marine ended in such a humiliating and ignoble fashion. For nearly a decade, I stumbled through my life in a sort of a daze trying to justify the sacrifices I made and observed in Southeast Asia. It's fair to say that had I not stayed in uniform, surrounded by kindred and tolerant spirits, I might, I might not have survived the peace that followed the war. Now, my takeaway from that was that the effects of PTSD were in Dale Dye's life, and they were softened by the Marine Corps camaraderie. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely, uh, Tanner. And, and you, have, you have taken from what I wrote the exact bottom line message. Uh, the Marine Corps saved me. There's no question in my mind. There will never be a question in my mind. And it was those fellow Marines, those people who, who had seen the owl and or heard the owl and seen the elephant with me. Um, yeah. So when I would begin to run off the rails, when I would begin to run off the, the track, <clears throat> those guys would say, look, uh, I get it. I was there. I saw it, too. 
just talk to me. Don't don't do something stupid. Just talk to me. And to this day, I think that's the mission that I try to get other veterans to do. Um, look, PTSD is handleable. It's not a new thing. Um, and in fact, it's a, it can be a character builder. It can make you different than the average schlub out there on the street, you know, who, who doesn't understand, uh, who doesn't have his priorities in order, doesn't understand life or death. Yeah. Um, but we've got to take care of each other. Uh, Absolutely. We really do. 100%. And, and look, it, it doesn't make any difference whether I know you from Adam's off ox. I'll spot you as a combat veteran and you'll spot me as a combat veteran. And it just takes talking to us. We can say things uh, or shorthand communication that nobody else can because we get it. Uh, and, and we get that feeling, that, that loneliness, that, that isolation that nobody understands. We get those flashbacks. We understand uh, the images that are haunting you. Um, and we've got to take care of each other in that way. You've just got to, you've got to trust that I know what you're talking about, that mm -hmm. I've seen that same elephant. Um, and, and you've got to, I have to trust that you know that. Mm. And once, once we've established that, that, that camaraderie, once we've established that bottom line, once we've established that empathy, then we can talk to each other. And some of that crap that's inside us can come out and be gone, you know, banished. What is one thing that you could tell someone who is coming home today that is having to survive that piece that you wrote about? I'd say, look, I know it hurts. I know that it's going to bother you. I know it's a burr under your saddle. I know it's a tick in your ear. Um, but you're not the first guy or gal to feel that way. You're not unique. I know that it's hard to find somebody to talk to. I know that it's hard to Find somebody who, who's just interested in listening, much less understanding. So don't bother with that. Find yourself a buddy. You found a battle buddy in combat. Hell, you might not have known the guy. He's, he's from, you know, East Jesus, Tennessee, and, and you're from the West Coast. <laughs> but together, shoulder to shoulder, in that hole or on that patrol, or kicking down that door, stacking up outside of it, he was your buddy. And he's your buddy now. You just got to find somebody. And it doesn't matter who it is, as long as he understands, as long as he's been there, as long as he's worn the cloth, just like you have, mm. then you got a buddy mm. and that buddy's going to help you. So find that buddy. And I think that's where some, some VSOs come in, you know, that's where you go to yeah. find your buddies. You find, you find people yeah. that were like you to join that community again. Yeah, and Absolutely. Tanner. And, and don't come crying the poor ass. Just come in and say, look, I'd like to talk to somebody, but I need somebody who, who gets it. Yeah, absolutely. And find that that body, you know, and if he's not if he's not working or she's not working, find somebody else. But don't quit because you can't keep that crap all bottled up inside you. If you do, it'll eat your guts and it'll kill you. I served in Vietnam. I served in Iraq. No matter where you served or when, VA has benefits for veterans of every generation. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov.
that that was a lot. Again, I want to thank all the incredible interviews from 2019. Uh, and I wish I could put them all into this episode, uh, into an episode like this. Um, and maybe I'll do another one of these. But I do implore you, if you did like what you heard, go back and check all those interviews uh, and check out the ones that weren't in this episode, as each one was a great and incredible conversation in their own right. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is William H. Pitsenbarger. I'm going to read his uh, Medal of Honor citation. Place and date near X Cam Mai, April 11th, 1966. He was born on July 8th, 1944 in Piqua, Ohio. Hope I said that right. Citation reads as follows. Airman First Class Pitsenbarger distinguished himself by extreme valor on April 11th, 1966 near X Cam Mai, Republic of Vietnam. While assigned as a pararescue crew member at Detachment 6, 38th Aerospace Rescue and Recovery Squadron. On that date, Airman Pitsenbarger was aboard a rescue helicopter responding to a call for evacuation of casualties incurred in an ongoing firefight between elements of the United States Army 1st Infantry Division and a sizable enemy force approximately 35 miles east of Saigon. With complete disregard for personal safety, Airman Pitsenbarger volunteered to ride a hoist more than 100 feet through the jungle to the ground. On the ground, he organized and coordinated rescue efforts, cared for the wounded, prepared casualties for evacuation, and ensured that the recovery operation continued in a smooth and orderly fashion. Through his personal efforts, the evacuation of the wounded was greatly expedited. As each of the nine casualties evacuated that day were recovered, Pitsenbarger refused evacuation in order to get one more wounded soldier to safety. After several pickups, one of the two rescue helicopters involved in the evacuation was struck by heavy enemy ground fire and was forced to leave the scene for an emergency landing. Airman Pitsenbarger stayed behind on the ground to perform medical duties. Shortly thereafter, the area came under sniper and mortar fire. During a subsequent attempt to evacuate the site, American forces came under heavy assault by a large Viet Cong force. When the enemy launched the assault, the evacuation was called off and Airman Pitsenbarger took up arms with the besieged infantrymen. He courageously resisted the enemy, braving intense gunfire to gather and distribute vital ammunition to the American defenders. As the battle raged on, he repeatedly exposed himself to enemy fire to care for the wounded, pull them out of line of fire, and return fire whenever he could, during which time he was wounded three times. Despite his wounds, he valiantly fought on, simultaneously treating as many wounded as possible. In the vicious fighting which followed, the American forces suffered 80% casualties as their perimeter was breached, and Airman Pitsenbarger was finally fatally wounded. Airman Pitsenbarger exposed himself to almost certain death by staying on the ground and perished while saving the lives of wounded infantrymen. His bravery and determination exemplify the highest professional standards and traditions of military service and reflect great credit upon himself, his unit, and the United States Air Force. Originally, this was an Air Force cross. And either way, he is the first enlisted recipient in the Air Force for either medal. We honor his service.
That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just email us at podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you would like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. If you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio. If you found us on the blog, you can hit subscribe to any of those. Pretty much any podcatching app known as cell phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as you can tell, we got some new outro music. Each and every week, Born the Battle will go out with something a veteran artist made. Something. Could be a song, could be poetry. Something made by veterans. If you are a veteran and you would like to submit your music or your art to the show, hit us up at podcast at va.gov. What you're hearing now is the song War at Home, made by veterans, the Marine rapper, Terry Josiah, D. Cure, the MSB, and Topher. Off the Ninja Punch music album, Sounds Like Freedom, Volume 1. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. Yes, I've been to war, my gun was shouting. Now I feel pressure from the politics. Now I deal with war at home, what you gonna do about it? Yeah. You ain't never served, I ain't trying to hear a word Wanna tell me how you see, I don't care what you observe You ain't never packed a bag, not knowing your return You don't know how I feel to sacrifice your world, yeah I'm tired of opinions, please don't call my phone I'm on do not disturb, yeah You get hit with the curve, yeah All my soldiers do work, yeah Give them what they deserve, yeah Recognition on the deposition Reppin' blue and crimson on the ammunition Never backing down no matter what condition Need successful mission, what's for no commission Real life situations, play no exhibition It was all or nothing, there ain't no split decisions yeah. Man, I really hate all the politics yeah. How about we do away with all of it Cause I'm sick of the Nick Big Brother Big Wicks Who never did anything but assisted Sir, the military did some Whoa. Now they bringing in the big guns NJP did it with this one It's a hit, son Now they wanna know if I've been to war That is a subject I choose to ignore Since you only assume that I fought it on show When I seen Dark and Day right inside of my door Get back in my face. I'm a black patriot, the target of hate. Do I mean that be said and discriminate? You should never ask me.